Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Hello and welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast. Today, we're going to be talking all about AI and its potential to help us in our work. Because I don't know about you, but I've been feeling a little bit panic stricken by the rise of AI recently. And I'm very, very keen to try and get over that fear and embrace the potential of this technology rather than just getting scared by it and you know brushing it under the carpet as psychologists have historically been known to do when it comes to technology. So I really think that AI has possible applications for psychologists and therapists that go far beyond the churning out of boring social media posts. So I'm looking forward to diving into that with you today. We're going to look at how AI could be used in marketing, admin, report writing, research, and as part of the therapy process itself. But before we get started today, I wanted to mention that we have a workshop coming up on the 13th of July. It's hosted by Chemotherapy with a K, not a C, and it's all about race in therapy, how we can support clients of colour and make sure our practices are part of the changes that need to happen in mental health in the UK. There are only 10 spaces available, so visit the link in the show notes now to secure your place on the live training. Okay, on with today's show. So first question then, is AI useful for marketing? So I tested two AI products, um, both owned by OpenAI, and that is ChatGPT, which does text stuff. So it writes blog posts, podcast episodes, social media captions, that kind of thing. Um, But it can pretty much do anything text-based. And I also tested DALI, uh, which is OpenAI's image generator. So I'm going to talk mostly about those two platforms today, although there are plenty of other ones out there that you can experiment with. Okay, so firstly then, what do I think is the danger of something like ChatGPT, a text generator in marketing? And to be honest, for me, the danger of it is boringness. I think it could very easily spit out a load of super boring, bland, vanilla, unoriginal stuff that we just don't need in our news feeds at the moment. I mean, please, for the love of God, don't get it to write you 50 quotes about the benefits of mindfulness and then churn those out one each week. I've seen people advising uh, business owners to do that and it makes me feel sick because honestly, that is just creating more noise. Everybody's going to die of boredom and it will waste your time because that is never going to convince somebody to work with you or buy your online course it's just going to fall into the ether of of boring stuff. Um, So I I think that's a real danger of AI in marketing. The other danger, of course, is that it might spit out unethical stuff um, or untrue stuff. And I did have a bit of an experience with that. So I'm going to talk to you a bit about that later on. But before I do, let's force ourselves to think about the opportunity. And I promise there is a lot of opportunity 
because I had a go with AI. Um, I got it to write several things for me and I found it had some real benefits. It can rewrite content that you've already created into other formats and it does it pretty well. For example, I asked it to to split a book chapter I've written down into three digestible blog posts. And it did a brilliant job. It pulled out all the key points and created short, accessible blog posts that I could really easily put on my website. With one caveat, it did erase all of my jokes and it erased all of my stories. And that may be AI trying to tell me that I'm boring, but my gut says it's because it just didn't understand them. And actually, those are part of the reason that you might read my blog rather than going to somebody else's. They're part of the colour and the texture that makes our work original and makes it our own. Without that, we're really just saying a lot of stuff that's been said before. Pretty much everything in psychology or therapy has been said some way before the reason we keep generating new stuff is that we're, you know, putting a new framework around it or using a different metaphor that helps it land differently for a different group of clients. And ChatGPT kind of strips all of that out of the content. So I I think it did a fab job, but I just spent a few minutes going back in and putting my stories and my jokes, which you might not think are funny either, ChatGPT obviously didn't like them, but I put them back in because I like them. And I think the people that follow me and and bother to follow me, probably like them as well, or at least tolerate them. Um, So that's, you know, one downside. There is one circumstance in which you could use the blogs that ChatGPT created from your book chapter in without going back in and putting the stories back in. And that could be if the aim of your blog is solely to improve SEO. If you're you're just blogging because you want to teach Google what your site is about, and there, there's a good reason for doing that, especially at the beginning of your practice, then you could use those blogs without injecting any further you know, life into them. That would be fine. The only thing that I would say about that is if you're trying to create relationships with people, then you need to be in the blog. You cannot just use ChatGPT for that. But different blogs have different purposes. And if you haven't listened to it yet, do listen to the podcast episodes we have on here about blogging, because it is really crucial to know your purpose before you start writing and before you start using ChatGPT to, to speed you up as well. I also asked ChatGPT to create some social media posts based on an email that I sent out to my email list last week. I did this for two reasons. Firstly, because I think there could be real scope here for saving us time in our marketing. If we can create one, you know, hilarious, witty, standout piece of content a week and then you know carve that up into social media posts that retain that personality that would save a lot of time and it would be really helpful in pointing people back to that core thing that you want to talk about that week which is what i always do in my content strategy so i was quite excited about this idea and i picked an email that i sent to my list um i think it was a couple of saturdays ago now Um, which was essentially a story with a learning point attached to it. A lot of my emails work like that. 
And I picked it for two reasons. Firstly, because it, I thought it was a really good email, if I'm honest. Um, I thought it was, you know, funny and engaging and it made a good point. So I thought it was a good example for that reason. But also, I thought that ChatGPT might not be able to handle it. Because with the book chapter, it had stripped out all the stories. I thought it might not be able to, you know, make sense of the story I was telling or carve it up into social media posts successfully. But it actually did quite well. So the email I sent was about hearing my daughter's class spontaneously bursting into God Save the King while sitting on the carpet at school. And their teacher was actually trying to make them stop, which was absolutely hysterical for me. Um, But it made me think about what a great job the royal family had done at marketing themselves to the audience that really mattered to them, which is not us, but our kids. Um, And it generated some really interesting posts. So what I'm going to do, rather than reading out those posts to you here, because that would just sound a bit weird on a podcast, I'm going to put those in the show notes of this episode so you can go and see what it came up with um, based on my story. Uh, But it used a lot of the same hooks and the same words that I'd used. And I think it did a pretty good job. I could definitely use those posts with just a bit of tweaking, maybe to make them a little bit funnier and a little bit less exclamatory, lots of exclamation marks from ChatGPT. But, you know, basically it, um, it did a great job. The other thing I'd want to add is a call to action, like listen to this podcast or sign up to get my hilarious and useful emails, um, which ChatGPT did not do. Uh, But generally, I think I could use those posts if I wanted to. And you may see them actually on my Instagram. I might put them on there to show people what ChatGPT is capable of, because that was a a really useful and time-saving use of my time, I think, because I put probably about an hour every week into writing that email uh, on a Saturday that goes out to my email list. Why not make that work for me all week? I really can't see the downside of that so long as it's not boring. Um, And I don't, I don't think it was. I think it, it took the essence of what I was writing and, you know, just reframed it in a way that worked better for social media. So very nice chat GPT. Well done. Okay, but the final piece of content I wanted to see if ChatGPT could help us with was a podcast episode. And that was my most frightening experiment with ChatGPT because I asked it to create this podcast episode using this title. And it did a ridiculously good job. It was engaging, interesting, well-structured. The only problem... It featured an interview with an entirely made-up doctor, Dr. Ramirez. And this led me down a rabbit hole of discovery. And I found out that because of the way the algorithm works, AI can hallucinate content that's plausible, but not real, like the lovely Dr. Ramirez. And there's no distinction between the stuff it creates and the real information it serves up to you. So we definitely can't trust it to create any of our content yet. You cannot get away with typing, write me a blog post about depression into ChatGPT because you just will not know whether what it's created is true or whether it's a hallucination. And it's so close to being true that unless you're going to spend a lot of time fact-checking, I just wouldn't be confident in, in what it had created for me. So... If you're going to spend that time fact-checking, I'd encourage you just to write it yourself 
at this stage because I think it would take so long to be confident in what ChatGPT had created that it really isn't worth it to create. However, I do think using ChatGPT to tweak existing content, you know, like making the blog posts from an existing chapter of a book or making social media posts from an existing email or providing a structure for something that you're planning on creating, that could be a real time saver and well worth investigating further. So for example, I could use it to plan the bullet points for the training on finance in private practice that I'm running for the British Psychological Society. I think there's a good chance it will know what the most important points to cover are, because that's a topic which is spoken about a lot, and it might well sequence them better than I would. And I will then go through and fill in the content because that is going to be unique to me and the way that I like to teach and the things that I think are salient for psychologists. But I think that structure, using it to just get rid of the blank page and replace it with a structure, that's something that I could be quite excited by and would probably save me quite a bit of time. Okay, so on to my experiments with images then using DAL E, which is D A L L hyphen E. So, well, first thing I should say is I did try Canva's image generator first and it was awful. The idea is nice because you just type in text and it creates an image based on that text. But as soon as I asked it for anything involving people, which most stuff I'm interested in does, it became super, super creepy, um, really horrible. So then I did some research and I found out that this DALI app by OpenAI is supposedly the best. So I tried that. And this was more interesting to me as it does the text to image generation, just like the Canva one, but you can also use it to generate images based on an image that you already have. So I asked it to create some alternative images using a photo of me. And I was kind of hoping that it might put me on a sun lounger or put me like pointing at something that I could use for social media or, you know, do something with my background. But what it actually did was totally horrifying. It basically created other versions of me that look like my cousins. And some of them were frankly offensive. It's just not something that the world needs. I have no idea why they've invented that. So I'll put those up on my Instagram, by the way, so that you can have a look and have a laugh because uh, they are truly horrible. Um, then I tried to get it to create podcast artwork based on the Business of Psychology podcast. Um, because I thought, okay, all right, alternative images of me, maybe I misunderstood what it was trying to do there. And its idea of what that is and what would be helpful is just different to mine. So I um, I thought podcast artwork, that is something which an AI generator should be able to do a decent job of because there's a lot of it out there for it to look at what podcast artwork looks like. And this podcast has been going for years now, so it should be easy for it to have a look at what we've already got. But it spat out utter gibberish, like utter gibberish. And that will be on my Instagram as well. So then I asked it for a multicolored pixelated brain um, because that's the kind of image that I sometimes want for a blog post on my clinical site. And it came up with something that fits that brief. It is a multicolored pixelated brain. But it was really badly edited. So parts of the image were cut off. It just looked naff. Um, 
so again, I'll, I'll show you what I created. If you want to see it, do take a look at my Instagram and I'll, I'll add them as a temporary story highlight so you can appreciate the horror um, without it making my overall feed too alarming. Uh, but all of them made me feel a bit sick. And all in all, to be honest, my image experiments with AI made me want to leave it alone for quite some time. I am sure that you could learn to make it much better than that. But if I was going to invest the time in learning how to make the AI image generator better, surely I'd be better off just creating the image myself. So I'm not a fan of the image generator, as you can tell. Um, but do tell me if you've got different experiences and you found a way of quickly and easily making it work for you do tell me um, because I, th I thought it was a bit of a shame and I was a bit disappointed uh, by my experiment. So the marketing upshot for me is that I don't really think we can use AI to do creative work for us, but I do think we can get it to do some of the boring aspects of content creation, like repurposing the fun stuff we enjoyed writing into Twitter or Instagram friendly snippets. I, for one, intend to embrace that in my marketing efforts. Similarly, if you're someone who fears the empty page or the blinking cursor of doom, then you could easily use ChatGPT to give you a framework that you add to for your content for anything from blogs, workshop outlines to project proposals. So I'm not saying AI is rubbish at marketing. I'm just saying we need to be careful about how we use it and use it in the best possible way for us. So let's think about other applications of AI then beyond the online marketing space. And the first thing I thought of is admin in our practices, because you've probably picked up if you listen to this podcast that admin is not my strong suit. <laughs> and so I was quite excited to think about the ways that AI might be able to support the admin in my practice. And one thing I found it quite good at was creating letter or email templates, which can really speed up your admin processes, especially if you use it to create a little bank of templates, you save them and then you use them when you need them. But you will need to tweak them to be happy with them. Um, I think it's a good investment of time, especially as OpenAI ChatGPT is free at the moment and it did a pretty good job. Um, so you can create those, save those and use them when you need them. It can also help with writing some of the boring but necessary stuff on your website, like frequently asked questions. I don't really enjoy writing that kind of thing. And it's got a lot of experience of typical frequently asked questions. So if you tell it the right kind of product or service, it can generate quite a good list that can be quite useful. Another thing I'm really excited about with AI is its possibilities for helping us with report writing and synthesizing evidence for research. Now, I am not an expert on this at all, and I've linked in the show notes to some really fascinating webinars on this subject that are specific to psychologists. Um, and I, I think there's so much potential for AI to be able to bring together more information than the human brain can handle and to then synthesize it and, and put it back to us in a way that we can make sense of it. So if you've ever had, you know, your search results for a systematic review come back with hundreds of pages of articles for you to sift through, then you know that quite quickly you create a really quite rudimentary a lot of the time, metric by which you assess whether this is a paper you're going to include or exclude. Well, AI can do that, 
but it could potentially do it in much more sophisticated ways than we can because it's got infinite patience and it's got infinite processing power, which we do not have. And I think the same could be said for clinical report writing. I'm not talking about your kind of end of therapy reports, but people who are maybe in the medico legal space, you can often get landed with hundreds of pages of medical records to review. And because your brain can't tolerate that much information, you're going to be skimming through looking for what seems relevant. And inevitably, there will be stuff that we miss when we do that. That is the human condition. And I do think it's not there yet, but I do think that in the future, that would be a fantastic application of some kind of closed AI system where it could apply an algorithm to all of that information and serve you up kind of summaries of different areas. So, for example, you could have a summary on you know, medical history um, or maybe more nuanced than that, a summary on like shoulder injuries, <laughs> um, a summary on ear, nose and throat. Um, so it would make it a lot easier for you to synthesize that information that can sometimes be totally undigestible when you first get it. So I'm really excited about those two applications of AI. And there are people working on it and developing it at the moment. So do go and have a look at what they're doing. Um, it's in the kind of welcome open research website. So I'll put all of that on um, on the show notes so that you can have a look because that's really exciting and I think could really enhance the way we do our work. One thing I'm a bit less convinced by though is the concept that AI could be useful for triaging clients who are in distress. I can see the benefits of using AI for 24-7 triage but I really draw the line at pretend human-like conversations. I've heard lots of people recently talking about the potential for AI counselling or the AI at the end of the crisis line. And I really hate that. To me, it doesn't feel ethical as vulnerable people could be deceived. Um, and I think it's naive to imagine that some of the people that use those services wouldn't be deceived by that. And even if it's not deceptive, if they found a way to make it really clear, then I think the value of a listening service of any sort is largely about being understood in a non-judgmental way. And that can't be offered by AI as it doesn't have empathy. But that I know that that's just my opinion. Lots of people disagree. But I think sometimes the person phoning up who's being triaged does get some comfort if it's done well from the person at the end of the phone saying, I know that this is really tough for you and I'm sorry that you're going to have to wait. I just think there's some value in that, but maybe that's just me. The concept of it matching clients and therapists is interesting. Again, for me, it would have to be really clear that it was a bot, but I can see a world in which a client types in, you know, I'm looking for couples counselling and it is able, again, because it doesn't have human limitations, to very quickly assess which therapists have availability and which have the required expertise. I think as that kind of first round of matching, it could be pretty good for that. But what it won't be able to do, obviously, is, is think about the human factors that might make that person more likely to feel comfortable with one person rather than the other, unless... The, the person requesting therapy is willing to be explicit about those things, which they may not be. So I think there's some nuance it wouldn't pick up on and probably 
well, I shouldn't say never because who knows, um, but in the short term, I doubt it would be able to deal with. But I can see it having some benefit on maybe sites like Psychology Today or Counselling Directory or Find My Therapist or Find My Psychologist. I could see it having some utility there. So I would watch this space to see what happens. And we'll keep assessing the utility as we watch what it does, the mistakes it makes and the benefits it brings too. So overall then... I think we need to get excited about AI and I think we need to embrace the bits of it that can help us reach more people. But I also think that we need some kind of wider oversight of the adoption of AI. I'd be very supportive of a government committee dedicated to analysing its adoption potential and the risks and providing guidance. And I think a version of that from the BPS and HCPC and UKCP and all of the our accrediting bodies would be really welcome to. I think this is something that as psychologists and therapists, we should not ignore. And we should make sure that we're really thinking through all the way and engaging with rather than kind of sweeping it under the carpet and pretending it isn't happening. A little bit like maybe as a profession we did with online therapy um, for a long time. So I would love to know your thoughts on this topic and the outcomes of any experiments that you've been doing with AI. So do come and find me on Instagram at Rosie Gilderthorpe and let me know how you feel about AI and how it's shaping up at the moment. Also, before you go, I wanted to mention that we do have a workshop coming up on the 13th of July. It's hosted by Chemotherapy, with a K, not a C, and it's all about race in therapy, how we can support clients of colour and make sure our practices are part of the changes that need to happen in mental health in the UK. There are only 10 spaces available, so visit the link in the show notes now to secure your place on the live training. Thank you so much for listening to the Business of Psychology podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to subscribe, rate and review the show. It helps more mental health professionals just like you to find us. And it also means a lot to me personally when I read the reviews. Thank you in advance and we'll see you next week for another episode of Practical Strategy and Inspiration to move your independent practice forwards.